time you dress so fine Through the bumps of dime in your prime Then you People call, say beware doll You're bound to fall, you thought they were off I'm kidding you Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 205 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is How to Audit Your Compliance Program. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Hope you're having a uh, wonderful Labor Day weekend, uh, getting some time with your family and relaxing. Um, I thought I'd uh, address uh, a perennial issue uh, that uh, all chief compliance officers uh, struggle with, which is how to audit your compliance program and how to do it in a meaningful way and give you uh, some good insights. But before we get started, let's start with a word from our sponsor, Steel Compliance. Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's Ethics and Compliance Automated Platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. So let's turn to the uh, audit of your compliance program and let's uh, first sort of set the framework uh, for what we're going to look at and uh, the reasons why we look at it. You know, we start with the, what I call the you know, basic factors that are given to us through the Justice Department uh, and also the Department of Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control, um, both of which have provided significant compliance documents. Uh, So we start with the DOJ, Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, the original issued in April 2019 and then revised in June 2020. Uh, And then we also have the DOJ Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs on Criminal Antitrust Investigations, which was in July 2019. 
And then uh, finally, a framework for OFAC compliance commitments, which was in May 2019. Now, I didn't mean to leave out the FCPA guidance, which is a resource guide put out by the Justice Department and the SEC, uh, and also recently revised in July 2020, the second edition. But uh, these documents, I think, help to set out, you know, basic compliance principles. One, uh, the fundamental three questions that we always ask is, is the program well designed? Is the program effectively implemented? And third, does the compliance program actually work in practice? And that's what we're trying to get at uh, in, uh, in our audit. And the starting point, obviously, is a risk assessment. Um, and allocation of resources, uh, and then we go to uh, other requirements that uh, go along with that, uh, including, um, you know, specific risks, policies, procedures, uh, and other factors that we're going to go through uh, here carefully. So the important interest, the important issue that has to be sort of balanced at the beginning is we're going to have qualitative and quantitative measures. Some qualitative measures uh, or answers or uh, sort of inquiries we have to realize is not something that's measured or it may be a binary type of question, yes or no, do you do certain things? But the, the important thing is to look for metrics that you can also start to audit and measure. Just like the way that I talk about how you use data, how you use uh, compliance-generated data, and what do you measure and why and what are you looking for. So the audit to me has to be a sort of mixture of these two, um, these two inquiries of qualitative and quantitative and where you draw the lines on some of those. So let's go through the elements, and, and this is key to the Department of Justice's um, guidance. Uh, because I think it's a good sort of uh, document that provides a framework, obviously for assessment and uh, for audit purposes. So, for example, let's start with uh, the first element is compliance program design. And within that, we start with obviously the fundamental risk assessment. Has a risk assessment, for example, been completed in the last three years? That will turn into, that's obviously a qualitative question. Uh, and uh, uh, which means that it's kind of yes, no, or we haven't. Um, but does the risk assessment cover, let's say, the following areas of risk? And, I, and this is just an example. Anti-corruption, antitrust, let's say you're in the healthcare sector, anti-kickback, anti-money laundering, charitable contributions, conflict of interest, cybersecurity, data privacy, gifts, meals, entertainment, insider trading, invoice to payments processes, third-party risk management, and, say, trade sanctions. We then have qualitative-type uh, questions like, is the risk assessment periodically updated, at least annually? Does the risk assessment include quantifiable risk ranking or rating systems? Uh, and does the risk assessment include surveys and analyze data from the surveys? And are those surveys, let's say, updated as a way to update your risk assessment. And if survey data is used, has the data been tested or sampled to ensure accuracy and reliability? But nonetheless, that's the one element that I would say includes the survey data 
uh, as something to sort of measure and then uh, maintain and then monitor as you go along when you update, let's say, the survey process. Moving to the second element of compliance program design, we talk about policies and procedures. Does the company maintain an ethics and compliance code of conduct? Has the company adopted policies and procedures for the following risk areas? And list all the risk areas that are pertinent to your company depending upon your industry, depending upon the regulations, if you're a regulated industry. And then ask the questions, has the company's code of conduct been updated, let's say, in the last three years? Have policies and procedures been updated in the last three years? Are business representatives included in the policy design updates and rollouts of new or modified policies and procedures? And then I would get to this element, which is um, the testing of your compliance program. In other words, have policies and procedures been tested for compliance with the requirements in the last three years? So, for example, uh, you may test your anti-corruption policy to make sure that the policies are being followed. Third-party risk management, are the procedures being followed? Uh, and in this process, uh, when you test against your policies and procedures and your controls, um, you will determine, and usually the testing should be done through sampling. You're not going to pull every uh, um, you know, specific uh, pol uh, procedure and documentation of the procedure. So, for example, in gifts, meals, and entertainment, you may pull a sample of certain transactions to make sure that they're documented, that they were properly documented, and then you will maintain uh, statistics on that and maintain data on that in terms of uh, what your performance is in that area. So for each policy there should be a review and sample control to determine a representative rate and quality of compliance with that policy requirement. Um, going beyond just the testing issue, uh, are policies and procedures subject to a policy management committee planning and process? Are they accessible, uh, the policies and procedures accessible in foreign languages? Are they published in a searchable format? Uh, does the company track access to policies and procedures? In other words, the number of hits on an intranet site. And for tracking purposes, has the technology and accuracy of data been verified through testing and sample review? Remember, I'm a big advocate for testing and sampling as a way to conduct audits and to monitor your program, and then, therefore, to determine when further investigation is required, further inquiry is needed. Uh, do the company's internal controls include specific rules and requirements that correspond to those contained in policies and procedures? Meaning, have your policies and procedures been translated into your internal controls? Third area for program design is training and communications. And this, to me, is uh, an important area, obviously, uh, because of uh, the need to conduct robust training and to communicate your program uh, throughout. So does the company provide annual training on its code of conduct? Does the company provide training programs to tie to the specific risks which we've already identified in our population and specific policies and procedures? 
is the training program tailored to employees in risk-based control positions? Is training, the training program delivered in person, online, how much, uh, how often? Uh, and you need to break into, again, uh, data here with regard to participation. Has in-person training or online training been provided to third parties? Again, tracking that information. Do training programs allow for questions to be asked? If it's just a canned presentation, how are you going to get the feedback? Does training program, your training program include lessons learned from past misconduct and other types of questions around this? And how are we determining whether the training program improves employee behavior? Does it have an impact on our rate of misconduct? And are our employees tested on what they have learned? If data is available for attendance, test results, review and sample that data for attendance confirmation, evaluation results, and overall compliance with testing requirements. Now with regard to communications, this is an area where things can get interesting because here we have, has senior management communicated its position on, on employee misconduct and the compliance program? In-person meetings, emails and social media, I would track numbers here company-wide messages, code of conduct messaging, video messaging, social media I mentioned earlier should be a, a part of this as well. So let's measure this. Does the company release annual employee reporting metrics, uh, annual uh, employee discipline information, and does the company make uh, available guidance on ethics and compliance issues? Again, these are all areas that can be measured, data can be tracked, and performance can be evaluated. Um, next, we look at confidential reporting and investigation process. Does the, we ha does the company have a reporting system that includes anonymous reporting? Has the company re publicized the existence of its reporting system, and where? Is it referenced in the code of conduct? policies and procedures, messaging uh, related to ethics and compliance, in-person and online training, in-person meetings, emails and social media? And does the company measure the number of reports and the types of reports? But most importantly, does the company measure the number of reports outside the reporting system? In other words, reports to supervisors, human resources, walk-ins, legal and compliance, all of this should be tracked. And companies that I see uh, often are just limiting their reporting and calculations here of data just to their reporting system. Incidents have to be tracked. Uh, and does the company classify the reports and incidents by category? Does the company report publicly the effectiveness of its reporting system? And does the compliance function have full access to the information collected by the employee reporting system? Often we see situations where HR maintains data but doesn't share it necessarily with compliance. So we need to verify the accuracy and completeness of the employee reporting system by sampling and testing data collected and reported in the company. We also need to look at our investigation system. Does the company triage the, uh, triage the employee reports to determine the seriousness of the allegation? Are investigations conducted in accordance with a publicly available investigations policy? 
Are they properly documented? Are they properly completed, properly and promptly completed? And are employee reporters informed of the status of their investigation and the resolution of the investigation? And does the company make an effort to ensure consistent disciplinary actions are taken in response to employee misconduct? Does the company track and collect data on employee concerns to identify patterns and trends relating to culture and employee misconduct? Again, we need to verify the accuracy and completeness of investigations by sampling various categories of investigations, reviewing the investigation files to confirm compliance with investigation policies and overall requirements. Again, part of our audit. We then have a whole area of third-party risk management where we have a risk-based and hopefully integrated process. Does the company maintain a risk management program that corresponds to its level of third-party risk? Has the process been integrated into the vendor management and procurement system and the same on the, the sales and distribution system as well? And does the company require a business rationale for use of a specific third party? Does the company include appropriate contractual terms to mitigate third-party risks? Does the company follow appropriate procedures to verify goods or services are provided? And do we include audit rights in our contracts? And have we ever exercised the right to audit a third party? Does the company monitor the third party's activities and performance? Or and does the company manage its third-party risks on a continuous basis? And does the company track the number of red and yellow flags that may arise relating to a third party and the resolution of those flags relating to a third party? Has the company rejected a proposed third party in the onboarding process or terminated a third party for misconduct? Again, those are qualitative type questions, but then we get to how do we audit this in another way is to review and sample your third party population to ensure that a third party, all the third parties in the sample are properly screened and approved prior to onboarding, that the contract with the third party includes appropriate compliance contractual provisions and other appropriate elements from the questions that I just listed. And we review and sample the accuracy of our screening system to ensure that prohibited parties are identified for compliance with sanctions and watch list requirements. Uh, as well as uh, generating adverse media and appropriate resolutions of any adverse media findings. We then move on to mergers and acquisitions. Does the company conduct pre-acquisition due diligence of a target company's ethics and compliance program? Did the company identify any potential risks of misconduct? And now this is most appropriate for those companies that expand through acquisitions not organically, but use an aggressive acquisition policy or strategy. Does the company maintain a standard procedure for conducting pre-acquisition due diligence? And has the company integrated the compliance function into the pre-acquisition due diligence process? Uh, and are there appropriate procedures to verify uh, the goods or services provided by a third party? Does the company implement its policies and procedures in a timely manner after the closing of the acquisition and provide training in a timely manner after um, uh, of the board and officers uh, involved in the acquisition or the, from the target company? 
and does the company conduct a post-acquisition audit for appropriate and relevant risks in a timely manner after the closing of the acquisition. Again, we would review and test and sample pre-acquisition and post-acquisition requirements as described relating to any acquisitions conducted, let's say, over the past three years. We then turn to this to what I consider one of the most important elements, which is the adequate resources and empowerment. And we look for a commitment by board of the board of directors, senior management, and middle management. Have the board members and senior leaders through their conduct and communications demonstrated a commitment to ethics and compliance? Have they engaged in specific and, and concrete actions to demonstrate their commitment? Have they modeled proper conduct by its employees and other managers? And again, has the senior management demonstrated a shared commitment with middle management uh, uh, to ensure that the objectives of the ethics and compliance program are achieved? Does the chief compliance officer meet and report to the full board or a subset committee dedicated to compliance at least for 30 minutes on each occasion? Does the compliance, uh, chief compliance officer stay in regular, at least monthly, informal contact with the chair of the committee responsible for ethics and compliance program? Does the company's board include any member who has prior experience in the ethics and compliance field? And does the CCO report directly on a periodic basis, at least monthly, to the CEO on ethics and compliance program issues? Uh, does the company, uh, has the compliance officer or a designated representative conducted training for board members on how to conduct oversight and monitoring of an ethics compliance program? With regard to autonomy and resources, is the compliance function managed by a chief compliance officer who is solely dedicated to ethics and compliance? And does the compliance function have adequate seniority in the organization? Do compliance officers have adequate seniority and authority within the organization based on their rank, title, compensation, and access to senior management? Does the CCO have an authority to stop, modify, or further review a business action or transaction based on compliance concerns? And then we look at the quality of the compliance staff. Do they have the expertise required? Does the compliance staff have adequate personnel to execute their responsibilities, adequate funding? Do they have, um, uh, or have they been denied? Uh, do they have access to necessary data within the company to exercise its responsibilities and a direct reporting line to a member of a board responsible for oversight of the compliance program? And this, again, we need to determine the number of full-time and part-time employees dedicated to compliance, assess their budget, and identify any transactions, actual or proposed, to determine whether this chief compliance officer exercised authority uh, to stop, modify, or approve based on compliance issues. Review the qualifications of compliance staff to assess your experience and qualifications and review board meeting minutes and slide decks to sample and verify chief compliance officer's role and interactions with the board or appropriate committee. Now, we also turn to incentives and discipline. Does the compliance officer 
uh, does compliance participate in the disciplinary process? Are reasons for disciplinary actions communicated to employees? And what incentives are there for employees to promote ethical conduct? These again create other types of uh, activities that can be measured and quantified with regard to how often do they do so, do we hand out awards, do we promote ethical conduct, and how do we create incentives for ethical conduct. Finally, let's get to the last issue, which is does, compliance, uh, does the compliance program e operate effectively in practice? And here we look at continuous improvement, testing, and review. And do we have an internal audit function that prioritizes audits of the compliance program? Do we do on-site, remote audits? And do, are the audit findings reported to senior management and the board? Does the audit report include a remediation process and progress which is measured? And does the company, again, test its controls to determine overall compliance? And again, we would go through the policies and procedures. And do we collect and analyze compliance data? Do we track the trends and results of this analysis? And do we measure our culture? Does the company measure our culture in year, in regions, product lines, um, uh, uh, geographies, uh, and across divisions? Uh, or other appropriate categories? Does the company solicit employee perception of middle and senior management and respond to culture findings? And uh, do we also um, conduct appropriate internal investigations, which we've talked about? And do we determine root causes, system vulnerabilities, and accountability lapses, including with management and senior executives? And do we share our internal investigation results with senior management? So all of this and includes a root cause analysis uh, and uh, builds and assesses the controls and opportunities for root cause analysis and how they're handled. And I want to just take a moment and, uh, before we wrap it up to talk about financial controls because this is an area that is really important and where compliance needs to get involved more and more into the assessment of financial controls, particularly in those functions that overlap with the compliance function. Does the company, for example, prevent segregation of duties conflicts? Are any of the company's financial controls subject to a manual override? Does the company pay any employee sales commissions, third parties sales commissions? And again, this is an area to review and sample commission payments to ensure that they were properly paid. Does the company maintain any questionable accounting entries? So here, what I would do is review and sample appropriate general ledger accounts and look for payments to identify potential questionable financial activity and look at documentation in your sampling. Does the company maintain an effective process to manage its vendor data files? Review and sample your vendor data files to ensure accuracy of vendor data, compliance with vendor data requirements, and ultimately banking information. We will also look at and uh, documentation and sampling of reimbursement for gifts, meals, travel, or other business-related expenses? And does the company audit those expenditures to determine if the expenditures were properly authorized and documented? 
Finally, does the company require an invoice, purchase order, or other documentation before approving payment from a vendor or supplier? Do they ensure that such requirements are satisfied before issuing a payment to the vendor or supplier? And does the company regularly audit these payments to ensure that financial controls are followed? Again, reviewing and sampling invoice to payment process to ensure the accuracy of payments and compliance uh, with vendor payment verification procedures. Does the company also uh, maintain adequate controls to ensure that payments from distributors, sales agents, and other e intermediaries are adequately documented and in accordance with specific requirements of contracts or purchase orders? And we also will look at the issue of controls over rebates, promotional allowances, and other sources of funds to third-party intermediaries and adequately monitor and test such payments to ensure that controls are being followed. Well, I know that's a lengthy, lengthy list, and uh, I'm going to uh, uh, urge you to take a look at this issue by referencing first uh, the compliance guidance that is out there, using those categories, and then building, injecting into it data and sampling that can be used on a variety of these issues. So thanks for your patience. Uh, I know this has been a longer episode, but I wanted to make sure we covered all of the relevant issues. And uh, take care, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. About having to be scrounging your next meal. How does it feel? How does it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a You know you only used to get juiced in it Nobody's ever taught you how to live out on the street And now you're gonna have to get used to it You say you never compromise With a mystery tramp But now you realize He's not selling it vacuum of his eyes and say do you want to
understood that it ain't no good You shouldn't let other people get your kicks for you You used to ride on a chrome horse with your diplomat Who carried on his shoulder a Siamese cat Ain't it hard when you discover that It feels. 